The mother and son sat at a table in a restaurant. Will had been estranged from his family for five years. So they were having this reunion because his mother had been diagnosed with cancer. She reached out to him, wanted to get back together. Much to her dismay, Will had chosen a lifestyle that was directly contrary to God's word. and She could not understand how a child she had raised in the church with all the opportunities of truth could be so deceived. But she loved him. She loved him in spite of his lifestyle, and he felt that. He knew that. He stayed away because he felt condemned. But today was a day of triumph. He agreed to meet with her. That was a step in the right direction. As they talked, he made a statement that shocked her. He told her when her church friends told him they were praying for him, it made him angry. She couldn't understand why. Why would anybody feel that way about anybody praying for them. So she asked him why. And he said he felt like they were judging him and saying they wanted him to be more like them because they were already perfect. She sat there and silently prayed that God would give her the right words to minister to her son. She responded in truth. She didn't know for sure how people were praying, but she offered to let him know, this is how I pray. He was drawn in and interested She said, I know you are tender before God. I pray you are always tender to his touch and respond when he draws you. I know you love and believe God's word to be true. I pray that you always allow the word of God to speak into your life and strengthen you whenever you feel weak. And she continued, No Christians would tell you to conform to their standards. That's what the world does to us. It puts pressure on us to conform for their approval. People who tell us to be like them, to be saved, puts themselves in the place of Jesus Christ. We can't do that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we commanded other people to conform to us and be just like us, we would set ourselves up as idols. Those who do conform, they do it for the wrong reasons. God works from a heart of grace. He wants us to fall in love with him, to do what we do, not because we have to, but because we want to. He wants us to grab on to his grace and hold on with everything we have. He wants us to love him enough to turn away from sin and run into his arms. God's way is to love us into transformation, not force us. Will wept. He took his mother's hand. He said he was so glad she told him that. He would never push away prayer anytime somebody offered to pray for him again, especially when her friends offered to pray. When they finished their meal, paid their check, he waved goodbye. He didn't know if he would ever see her again, but he did have a new desire to fall into the arms of God's grace. After all, what could it hurt? Let's hear all about that wonderful grace right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. L.J. Harry here, your host. 
happy to be with you on the Scotch Word for Life Companion Podcast. And our episode, I'm sad, it's the last of the parables, at least for this series. And it's called the Parable of the Banquet, and it's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Okay, one short verse packs in a wedding which is ready, but guests who are not worthy. Let's unpack all of that. It was custom for a king to prepare a great feast whenever his son was going to get married. It was their way of saying, hey, come celebrate with us. We're marrying off the young fellow to a young lady, and we're all going to be happy together. They had friends, they had family on the guest list, maybe an enemy or two. And they presumed, like everybody would, hey, we're giving you free cake. Why wouldn't you not show up? So the king started all the preparations to prepare this large feast to accommodate everybody who was invited. He sent his servants to all the honored guests to let them know the food was prepared. Festivities would begin very soon. They didn't have the luxury of save the dates like we have, and they didn't have Instagram to let everybody know, hey, food's ready, come on now. So the servants went out to let everybody know, good news, the wedding feast is just about ready. The servants reported back that all the guests had declined the invitation. Even when you get an RSVP and on it it reads, yes, I will attend, or no, I regretfully cannot attend. Well, these guys didn't seem too regretful. So the king tried again. He sent his servants to plead with them to come. The first time it was, hey, everybody, we know you want to come, so come on, the food's ready. The second time it was, hey, everybody, we think it's kind of weird that you don't want to come, but the food is still ready and you're still invited, so would you please? He told them to tell the guests, we've prepared the best meat, the most beautiful table is set, everything is perfect, the only thing we're missing, you. Most of the invited guests ignored the servants. Some walked away. Some even went so far as to seize the servants and beat them, and then some, for some unknown reason, unthinkable, unconscionable reason, killed the servants. Let me get this straight. You are inviting us to a wedding with free cake, and they killed servants for that? I don't understand it, and neither did the king. The king was devastated. My son is getting married. Nobody's going to come and celebrate. I don't understand. He was not only dishonored by their refusal to come to the feast, but of course he's furious they killed his servants. So he sent out the army to kill the murderers who killed his servants and then set their property on fire just to send a message. Now that kind of lifestyle, that kind of world is foreign to most of our thinking. We live in a different age, thankfully. <laughs> a simple no thank you will suffice. But even though we've probably not seen much of that, we have seen where people have declined God's invitation time and time again. But there will be a day where there is a judgment for those who reject God's call and reject the gospel. And it's not just because God is trying to show them how angry he is. It is because they have told him, we don't want you. And so on that judgment day, the Lord will remind them the reason you and I are going to be separated for eternity is because in time, you told me, I don't want you. So why would God force anybody to be with him for eternity when they told him, I don't even want to spend time with you for 70 years in time. 
Every one of us will be held responsible for every rebellious act, every slanderous word we have uttered against God, which is why, thank God, we have repentance. One day God will open the book of life, and the names of those who refused to come to him will be missing. You can read a little more about that in Revelation chapter 20. When we love somebody, it, it seems like we never have enough time with that person. When, when, when the lovely Andrea and I first met, we would spend all day together, and then whenever it was time for curfew, because we were living in Bible college and, of course, in separate dorms, in separate buildings, we would walk up those chapel steps, and when we got to the chapel, she would go to the left, I would go to the right, she went to the ladies' dorm, I went to the men's dorm, and we would walk backwards so we could still see each other. And then as soon as we got to the doors of the dorms, I turned around, opened the door, ran down to room 290, my room, got on the phone, dialed 441, her room, and we talked until the wee hours of the morning, which is probably why I didn't do so great on some of those tests, because I wasn't studying. I was spending time with the lovely Andrea on the phone. When you love somebody, you can't spend enough time with them. What about God? What about your relationship with him? Here's the first question. How has your love for God changed your lifestyle and habits? When I met the lovely Andrea, there was nobody else in the world but her. When we live our life for Jesus, there should be nobody else worthy of our worship, our full devotion, than him. Because God loves us more than we can imagine. He draws us to him because he loves us more than any other creation he designed. We are his crowning creation. And yet to God's great disappointment, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it caused a division between them, a separation. And God wanted to bridge that separation. The purpose of the gospel, his life and death on earth, was to bridge that gap, that yawning gap between him and us. He came to be the perfect lamb to be slain for our sins. And when we fall in love with Jesus, we gladly accept every invitation he extends to us. The king looked around. His heart was broken. None of his friends would attend. Suddenly, he was renewed with a fantastic idea. Well, we still have the food. We still have the table. We still have the table settings. We still have a son who's getting married. I know. We'll find somebody who's hungry. Maybe that's the key. Maybe we should be praying, God, lead me to somebody who's hungry. I don't want to spend all my time debating and fighting with somebody who just wants to fight. I want to find somebody who's hungry and feed them the word of God. Feed them the gospel. The king gathered his servants together and he told them, well, since the original guests were unwilling to come and now, sadly, some of them are dearly departed because of what they did to my servants, I want you to go into the streets and I want you to find the hungriest, hangriest, poorest people and invite them to come to this palace and feast on this feast. Much to the king's pleasure, when the servants went out and then came back, they were followed by a large, hungry group of guests who wanted to be there. They were honored for the invitation. And the king was thrilled that his house would be full. Scripture tells us in Luke 15, there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Our churches may not be filled with millionaires or billionaires or famous politicians or high society debutantes. 
or athletes or celebrities. But every church is filled with people who were once sinners but were invited to a wedding feast. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11, Paul addressed the church at Corinth about their prejudice against a group of people they didn't really want to spend time with. And he set their condemnation straight by reminding them of who they were. They thought they were somebody. And Paul said, do you remember who you were before Jesus met you? You were sinners, wicked, wretched, horrible, heathen, pagan sinners. But not anymore. Now you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, through baptism, of course, and by the Spirit of our God, through spirit baptism. All of us will not fit into this closed club of high society, but we don't have to, to fit into the kingdom of God. We were sinners, but we have been saved by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Thank God he's not a respecter of persons. He chose us, even though we were unworthy. He still invited us. The king entered into the receiving hall. The guests were there. They were waiting, and he offered them festive robes in exchange for their filthy rags. Excitedly, they shed their dirty, smelly, worn-out clothes for these beautiful, clean, colorful garments. Some of them had come straight from the streets. Only the royal family and their esteemed guests were usually allowed in the dining hall of the palace. But this was a day of changes. These were all commoners who were sitting at the same table as the king and his family. The Jewish audience Jesus addressed, they must have been outraged, incensed. How dare these commoners, these undeserving guests, be a part of this king's feast? But Jesus was gently introducing his plan to offer salvation, not just to them, not just to the Jews who could trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham, but also to those filthy, unkempt, unworthy, undeserving, unclean Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people, but this new message for the Jews to consider revealed how God would extend grace and favor to everyone, including the Gentiles. We're so blessed Even if you can't count your lineage all the way back to generations of Jews, we're blessed to be counted among this royalty in heaven. The King of Kings invites us to be his friend. He doesn't just want to be a friend. He wants us to be family. He calls us to himself, and our only responsibility is to believe he really does want a relationship with us. And if we do believe that, we will act upon our faith. We will repent of our sins and have him wash those away in baptism as we take on his name and accept his gift of the Holy Spirit. It is as easy as the undeserving guests accepting the invitation of the king. Just come to a feast. It's prepared for you. Here's another question. What unique ways do you now live knowing you're a child of the king? This notion that God would extend his mercy and grace to the undeserving, it was countercultural, and that's to say the least. And yet Jesus was countercultural. He sat and ate with sinners. He touched the lepers, the diseased. He held deep, meaningful conversations with outcasts, some of the women at the well and with Zacchaeus in his house. He showed us how God's grace is designed, not for the worthy, but for the unworthy. In this realm of God's magnificent holiness, nobody is truly worthy. When we compare ourselves to him, none of us measure up. None of us 
All of us are undeserving sinners, but thank God through his blood and through his name and through his spirit, we have been washed, we have been saved, we're sanctified because he has redeemed us by his blood, his righteousness, not our own. The receiving hall was filled with chatter and laughter and merriment. The king scanned the crowd. Everything seemed to be in order. And as he turned to order dinner to be served, he spotted one guest who was still in rags. And he stood out. He stood out like scarlet and gray in Ann Arbor. Why was he so inappropriately dressed? He was concerned. He was confused. So the king approached the guest who was still sitting there in his own rags rather than wearing the the robes he had been furnished. I mean, surely. Tell me he didn't refuse those beautiful clean new garments. They were designed for everybody to wear when they came to the door. So the king walks up and asks him, Friend, why aren't you wearing what I offered you to wear? And the guest just looked at him, nothing to say. No word, no explanation, no justification, no excuse, no, oh, man, I just I just got here in time. I came, came straight from work, and I just didn't have time to change. Nothing except a challenging, rebellious stare back into the eyes of the king who invited him to the feast. All of us have probably encountered somebody like that, somebody who rejects Jesus Christ, who blames him for all the bad things that happen in the world or walks away from God without a simple word. We'd be quick to judge that person, but God is not. He is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. For those who aren't interested in God in any way, it's better for us to leave them in the hands of a merciful God and keep loving them and praying for them rather than judge them or condemn them. In your own life, whom do you know who has rejected Jesus and what can you do to help that person come back into his fold? The ungrateful guest had no regard for all the time and the effort the king had put into making an amazing feast for all of his guests. In like manner, we must remember all Jesus Christ has done for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And the right response to that glorious gospel is that we would act on our faith. We would repent of our sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the king discovered the man still in rags, he graciously called him friend, He gave him a chance to explain, okay, this is a head-scratcher. You can go ahead and explain to me why you're sitting in my palace at my table about to feast on my feast to celebrate my son, and you're still wearing your rags when I furnished my robes. And once the king realized the guest had no intention of changing, of doing what the king wanted him to do, he had the man evicted. God will go to great lengths to reach out to every person, even the most undeserving person, will find grace at his table. It is not his will for anybody to die in their sin. It is his will for everybody to repent and follow him, but he will not force anyone to repent. That is our responsibility. Here's a question. What do you think the rebellious guest was thinking when he said nothing to the king? As the king clothed his unworthy guests in beautiful robes, as they walked into the palace, God clothes us in his righteousness so we can walk into his kingdom. When we look at ourselves, we might be absolutely disgusting, but when Jesus looks at us in his righteousness and he clothes us in his holiness, we are regal. The man in rags was flaunting his calloused refusal of grace. 
He wanted the privileges of being in the palace with the king without admitting that he was in need of transformation. When God makes us a new creature, we can't live in our present state. One of my favorite authors who now was filled with the Holy Spirit, so I'm thankful for what God is doing in his life, Max Lucado, he wrote a book called Just Like Jesus. And in that book, he repeatedly says, God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. He wants us to be just like Jesus. Another question. Once people refuse God's grace, is it possible for them to change their minds? When God transforms us, we are made brand new. We're not us 2.0. We are recreated. We're not an upgrade. We are recreated, a new creature. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there was no going back to the grave for him. Even so, when we are raised from the dead through repentance, baptism, and receiving the Spirit, there is no going back to our old life. We must move forward and walk in this new life God has provided and promised. And as we draw closer to Jesus, he will change the very network of every cell, every atom, every desire, every need into a yearning for him. We will want to be closer to him, with him know him, walk with him, please him, live in a way, talk in a way, dress in a way, act in a way that honors and glorifies God. And in doing so, we can do what Romans chapter 12 teaches us to do. Be not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we wrap this up. Accepting God's grace is a privilege. We're lost and hopeless without it. Without God's grace, all of us would still be wandering around, searching for meaning, for purpose, living an empty life, wondering, why are we even here? But when you have been blessed by God's grace, you know you are here to glorify God and make disciples for Him. Point to God and point others to God. When we think about grace, it's commonly defined as unmerited favor, but that's just a small facet of it. His grace is so much more. For the sake of simplifying an eternity of information, we must know that God's grace is God's gift to humanity. He is ever patient with us because of his grace. He draws us. He loves us. Even when we're running from him, he's still faithful to us, even when we are unfaithful to him. If we could understand the expansive holiness of God. Maybe, maybe we could understand the facets of grace, but we can't, so we don't. We don't understand all of God's grace. We simply know he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. Don't let anybody, no TV preacher, no radio preacher, no author, don't let anybody tell you God loves you just the way you are, and he will leave you there. Thank God he does love us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us in our sin. If we want to be delivered, he will deliver us. Salvation is the transition from death to life. And all of that is accomplished through the gospel of Jesus Christ and our right response to the gospel, which is repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ to take on his name and enter into his covenant and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we do that, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. Let's pray right now for God to show us no matter where we are, his grace can reach us and then to help us live an abundant life through his abundant grace. 
Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. I'll never understand it. It's beyond anything I could ever comprehend, but I thank you for it. I'm glad I don't have to understand it or deserve it to be thankful for it, and I am thankful. Help every one of us to live abundant lives through your abundant grace, to live a life that honors you, that pleases you, that points people to you, that glorifies you, that makes disciples for you. I pray today, Jesus, may we live marked by your grace, and may we always feast at your table, clothed in your righteousness as beneficiaries, recipients of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Be sure to subscribe, follow, like, share, notify. Make sure you don't miss any God's Word for Life episodes. They'll drop every Friday, at least in these United States, and you'll get to be a part of all God is doing through God's Word for Life. I want to once again just thank you so much. We've hit almost 9,500 downloads in the last 30 days, which is outstanding, outstanding. Thank you so much for making God's Word for Life part of your devotional life. We've got some great resources, curriculum resources, right over at PentecostalPublishing.com. And when you use promo code GWFL10, you can save 10% off your entire order the first time you use that promo code, GWFL10, for God's Word for Life. Clearly, you're a podcast listener, so I've got another great podcast I would love for you to check out, especially if you're a teacher in a local church. It's called The Formed Podcast, and it continues conversations we started during the Formed Conference. Right now, there are two episodes, three episodes, actually, including the pilot. Up, the first one is the pilot. The second one is an interview with Katie Collins about using metrics to measure growth, not just numeric, but also growth in depth, and how do we know people are growing in their relationship with Jesus we're teaching. And then the third episode is an interview with Raymond Woodward, and it's all about how to prepare for a lesson. All of those are on the Formed Podcast. You can find those on Google, Apple, and Spotify, and you can find those on our YouTube channel, YouTube. Just search Pentecostal Publishing, and you will find the Formed Podcast on YouTube. Next week, we will begin a brand new series called Jesus Responds to Faith, and our very first episode is called Everlasting Life. I love this theme of the grace and mercy and gospel of Jesus Christ that promises heaven and abundant life to those who respond to it. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.